the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we are told that a Christian is not to marry a non-Christian. That would result in what we refer to as being unequally yoked. Unequally yoked refers to a physical yoke used in farming, mentioned frequently both literally and figuratively in the Old Testament. And a yoke was simply a wooden device, you've probably seen them before, that would attached to animals so you can harness the strength and the power of two animals instead of one to pull your plow or whatever it may be. It is not malleable. It is not flexible. So obviously you would want to find two of the same animal for the same purpose. The power and the purpose of both like animals would help you accomplish your task. I'm going to say that again because it helps us understand why this refers to marriage. The power and purpose of both like animals would help you accomplish your task. But if, for example, you were to yoke together a donkey and an ox, it would be awkward. You'd have different uh, length of strides. You have different amount of strength. And the differences in size and power would literally just make them walk in circles rather than plowing straight lines through your field. In fact, you may very well even ruin your field and your crop for that season. In other words, again, both animals have to be the same and thus have the same purpose. And you can see where the analogy fits with a Christian marrying another Christian or a non-Christian being unequally yoked. All that to say, when we get to 1 Corinthians 7.12, Paul is assuming, he doesn't even address it, he just assumes that no Christian has voluntarily or willingly entered into a mixed marriage. So for you singles, you do not marry a non-Christian no matter how much you want to get married but cannot find a spouse. You do not do it. It is forbidden. Your purposes will be different. Your strengths in the Lord will be different. One exists, one does not. And you, in a proverbial sense, will just be going in circles in raising your kids, in your goal for life, in having a family. Everything in your married life will be ruined. What can and does happen, however, is that two unbelievers get married, and after they're married, 
one of them gets saved and the other does not. This is the situation that Paul addresses now because, again, he just assumes that no one willingly entered into a marriage, a Christian rather, into a marriage with a non-Christian. Now in verses 12 and 13, much like verses 10 and 11, Paul repeats the same concept but addresses either the husband or the wife in each, covering all the bases and showing that the general principle applies to both. Here, the general principle is that the Christian spouse is not to leave the non-Christian spouse. So if you're married to an unbeliever, again, that is not licensed to leave. Divorce is still not an option for you. He starts with, I say, not the Lord. This is not to say this is not a command or that this is not inspired and not from God. Paul is simply saying that he is not quoting a command of Jesus Christ. So, this is still Scripture with the full authority of Paul's apostleship. This is still a command of God. In other words, this is still sin if disobeyed. You notice that in both verses, Paul only mentions the unbeliever being willing or the word consenting in the NAS, to stay in the marriage. That's because, once again, there is an assumption that the Christian would never be the one to want to get out of the marriage. The Christian would never be the one to initiate the divorce or the separation. And so he addresses the desires of the non-Christian. So if the non-Christian is willing to stay in the marriage, then you stay in the marriage. So, what do you do if you are married to an unbeliever? So long as there is no desire for divorce on the non-Christian's part, you stay in the marriage. He uses this word consent or willing in the NIV, and it implies a level of approval. This is someone who would not just give lip service, but who actually wants to stay in the marriage. As an unbeliever, he's not going to have God-honoring or spiritual reasons for that, but they're willing to stay. Now, when we say he consents or she is willing, this cannot be the result of coercion by the Christian spouse. This cannot involve threats or anything else. If you leave, I'm taking the kids. Or, or if you leave, I'm going to hurt you. So this is not the non-Christian being willing to stay because they're terrified of what you have said or threatened. This is the unbeliever having a choice but choosing by their own determination to stay in the marriage. Again, there's an assumption which is that the Christian, understanding God's design for marriage, wants to stay married. So the focus here is on the non-Christian's desires. And I say wants to stay married, not just is willing, but wants to. Despite whatever hardships and difficulties there are, just for the plain fact that you are married to a non-Christian, even if that non-Christian is a great spouse, all things considered, there are still many difficulties involved in an unequally yoked marriage. But should things go bad, should he start persecuting, should she start mocking your faith, well, still, you should desire what God desires and not just what is best for your own personal happiness. 
to look at it from another angle, in a mixed marriage, whether or not that marriage continues is up to the non-Christian spouse. And that seems like a lot of weight to put on something that is biblical, but again, we shouldn't want the divorce as Christians. If they want to stay, the marriage is intact. If they want to divorce, the matter is out of the Christian's control. There's nothing you can do about it. If they insist on leaving, you get a divorce because there's nothing you can do. And although, as we said in the last point, the Christian shouldn't just throw up their hands with relief. Oh, I'm so glad you want a divorce. Good riddance. Fine. Leave. There must be prayer. There must be pleading. There must be pains taken to get their spouse to stay, even if you think the divorce will make you happier, even if you want the divorce in a selfish way. These things do not matter, just like the false promises of any sin that tell you this is better despite what God says. Outside of the basic plan and purposes of God for marriage for all mankind, whether Christian or not, Paul goes on in verse 14 to explain why it is so important and even beneficial to the family as a whole for the marriage to stay intact. Verse 14 is a good reminder that practical issues and peripheral issues, yes, these are peripheral, such as happiness, your reputation, or even the well-being of the kids pale in comparison to larger spiritual issues of why you should stay in the marriage. In other words, what we're about to read should be your primary desire to make your marriage work, not just, I don't want to be in this marriage, but it's better for the kids. Look at verse 14 again. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. We know that there is something special, something unique and empowered by God when two Christians get married. It is a holy union. When two non-Christians get married, you have none of that. There is no holiness in the marriage whatsoever. And what can happen often in our thinking in the church in regards to a mixed marriage is that we feel like the presence of the unbelieving spouse somehow contaminates the marriage or makes the marriage unholy. However, what Paul is saying is the opposite is true. The Christian spouse sanctifies the marriage, the unbelieving spouse, and the children. Now, Paul is not talking about salvation here. What he is talking about is that the home being set apart for God, even if the non-Christian spouse mocks or persecutes the Christian spouse. The existence of a Christian in that home as a parental unit tells you that this home is set apart by him and for him. Paul is also talking about the grace and blessings that the Christian receives that overflow into the home and thus the lives of the unbelieving spouse and kids. In other words, the entire family is blessed and enriched. Think about all the things that you would see as a blessing. 
physical blessings, material blessings, even blessings of your well-being, and you see those as from God. In a marriage, it's impossible for those not to affect your spouse and your kids. If you truly believe, as you should, that the Lord has blessed you with finances, I would assume that as a Christian you are not hoarding those finances and using them for yourself. If you believe you have a roof over your head and food on your table because of the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ that He will provide, then clearly He doesn't provide just enough for you to survive, but He provides for your spouse and your children. Your happiness, your joy, though they may not understand it, though they may be upset about it because they hate your God, it overflows to them. Now understand, we're not saying that everything that happens in the house is now holy. There is a reality where there is a Christian spouse living with a non-Christian spouse and where that non-Christian spouse uses that home for extremely wicked and even illegal things. Drugs, abuse of some sort. We're not saying that your existence there makes this okay or somehow sanctified. This is a general principle. When it comes to the marriage, understand, that because the Christian spouse sanctifies the marriage, there is no need for divorce. And in the context, that's Paul's point. If you are a Christian, there's no need for divorce. If you are a Christian married to a Christian, there is no need for divorce. If you are a Christian married to a non-Christian, there is no need for divorce. If you are a Christian married to a non-Christian with four, five, six, seven grown adult non-Christian kids with non-Christian grandkids, there is no need for divorce. You sanctify the marriage and the family. And part of this, but not always, but part of it, is that it's often through that one saved family member that the spouse, if not the children, get saved. We saw a similar concept in one of the questions last week. Uh, There's no sort of just contact pollution in the Christian's purity because they are married to an unrepentant spouse. Again, even if the home is more reflective of the unbeliever than the believer, from an outsider's point of view, that does not somehow corrode the holiness of the one who is in Christ. Can't happen. The reality is, though, it may not always feel like it for the Christian in this situation. Their prayers, their example, their gospel living, however, all influence the home. And you may not feel like your existence in that home is doing any good. But trust God's Word. Not even talking about divorce here. As a believer, if you are in a mixed marriage, understand that there is hope, there is influence, there is good in your home, there is good in your marriage. Don't give up. Don't doubt Don't keep the gospel to yourself. Understand that as hard as it may be, as lonely as it may feel, God is working through you and your spouse and your home and your children are sanctified 
in a non-salvific way, but still in a very good way through His use of you. Stay the course. The values and personality of the family will be influenced by your salt and light. You may not see it. You may not think it's real. But it is happening. Because the power lies not in you, but in the one who made you salt, who made you light. It lies in the power of the one who gives you the brightness and the flavor. It's through all of this that the spouse, your spouse, and children are sanctified. Again, Paul is not saying that they're somehow saved by proxy. He's making an argument against divorce. Basically, he's saying that the mixed marriage has much of the same status as a Christian marriage and should not be abandoned. And if it is, there is a warning here. The children then become unclean if they're not saved. But so long as you stay, they are holy. Unfortunately, sometimes the reality is that on the part of the Christian, no amount of effort will get the non-Christian spouse to stay. And that leads us to our third and final question for biblical marriage when the marriage becomes unbiblical. What should I do if my non-Christian spouse wants to leave? Look at verses 15 through 16. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Again, Paul is assuming that the Christian is not the one who is bringing up divorce. I know I'm being repetitive, but this is on purpose. Divorce is not an option for the Christian unless it is out of their control. And in this final scenario, after the Christian has done everything in his or her power to convince, not force as we saw earlier, but convince the unbelieving spouse to stay, and I should add, within the allowance of Scripture, so if the reason he wants to leave or she wants to leave is because you're a Christian, obviously you can't say, if you stay, I'll stop going to church. If you stay, I'll stop talking about God. I'll stop praying. Those are not options. Then the Christian can consent to a divorce. As Paul puts it, the Christian is no, no longer under the bondage of the marriage, enslaved in the ESV or bound in the NIV. You're not, no longer bound to the marriage in God's eyes. Because if he wants to leave, there's nothing you can do. This is different than what Jesus taught regarding adultery. In the case of adultery, the marriage may very well still continue and should so long as the unbeliever is willing to stay. If the unbelieving spouse insists on leaving, adultery or not, then there's nothing the Christian can do. Because if the spouse leaves, there simply is no marriage. At the end of verse 15... Paul says that God has called us to peace. In other words, in the most dire of situations, which this is, Paul's allowance for divorce will let Christians have the peace he desires them to have. 
This is more than just the absence of strife, as we know, with your spouse, and definitely more than a feeling of tranquility. This is an objective position of harmony and reconciliation. The idea is that you will have peace if this situation plays out, but also that desertion by a spouse, a non-Christian spouse, will not destroy this God-given peace. It may be difficult, but you will have the objective peace that God has given you. A point to make, as the Christian in the relationship, this does not work the other way around. In other words, you cannot twist the Scriptures and say, Ah, see, God wants me to have peace. I can't be at peace in this marriage, and so I want to divorce. You cannot do that. That's not what this is saying. Well, back to the passage. Finally, Paul asks two rhetorical questions in verse 16. For how do you know? O wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? The implied answer is, you do not. In other words, you can't save your spouse. Only God does that. So don't worry about staying in the marriage for the, that reason if the unbeliever leaves. Still pray for their salvation. Still evangelize. But that let them leave and have peace. In other words, all previous issues accounted for. You do whatever is possible to get the marriage to work, to get your spouse to stay. Evangelism is not enough to stay in a marriage that the non-Christian has already dissolved. So, three questions for biblical marriage when the marriage becomes unbiblical. Bottom line, as a rule, divorce, Christian, should not even be in your vocabulary. It should not be an option. Stop thinking about it. Stop seeing it as a possibility. Stop using it as a threat. Hopefully, you'll never have to ask these questions outside of a general curiosity and desire to know God's Word. But if you do, let's commit to asking these questions with the goal and desire of preserving the marriage rather than asking the problematic question which is asked all too often in the church which seeks an unbiblical, God-dishonoring, and sinful out for the Christian. Love is hard work. Marriage is hard work. Obedience is hard work. Glorifying God is hard work. And this is something that's easy for you as a single to say, well, I better find the right person. That is true. As we said a couple weeks ago, you need to find a Christian who has the same theology, a Christian who is growing, who is serving, who is thriving in his or her walk with the Lord. But it's more than that. It is also understanding that should you desire to be married, you desire to enter another level of joy-filled, grace-filled, fun, but hard work. 
to slay your sin, to repent of your selfishness. Selfishness that you didn't even know. Selfishness that you will easily accuse your spouse of seeking divorce when it's really your own selfishness that is causing the problems. And so, yes, find the right person, unmarried men and women, but don't fool yourself into thinking that marriage will be easy. A proper understanding of Scripture's and reality is needed in this scenario. But those of you who are married, I think I've addressed you already. Even if things are going really well right now, excel still more. And maybe take time to evaluate whether things are going well because your definition of well is that we're in cruise control, we know each other, we got our patterns down, but you're not excelling still more. You're actually kind of stagnant. You're not growing. You're not working hard. You're not trying to make her laugh. You're not trying to find out his new desires. You're not communicating about things inside and outside of the bedroom. You've just hit a status quo. You live your life. They live theirs, you love each other, you're on cruise control, you're happy, everything looks good, strive harder. Divorce is not an option, but a happy, joy-filled marriage definitely is. I know that is harder for some than others because of your situation. Trust the Lord, work hard, there is hope. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.